Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Homefront, episode 11 of season 4. It aired on January 1st, 1996. We've moved into 1996 uh, by now. Written by Iris Stephen Bear, Robert Hewitt Wolf, directed by David Livingston. In this episode, Cisco is recalled to San Francisco after a terrorist bombing reveals that changelings have reached Earth. Clay, how are you? Good. I would like to assume that travel here um, is entirely by transport, transporter. Otherwise, the writers don't understand how Earth works. Mm-hmm. Distances, you mean when they, when they sort of travel around Earth? Yeah, because he's like, I'm going to San Francisco, and his dad's like, well, don't forget to swing by Louisiana. And then <laughs> O'Brien just ha- is like, you know what? If you happen to be, if you got a spare second, if you wouldn't mind checking on my parents in Dublin, that would be great. They've, so I uh, assume it's all transporter based travel, right? They've mentioned before that Cisco was telling uh, when he went to the academy, he went home by transporter every night to eat dinner. So it is, they are yeah, just transporting okay. around that the planet, sense. which is, that's actually a, a patron comment that you've kind of hijacked a little bit. You didn't, you didn't know, you didn't, you hadn't read it, but someone was questioning that as well. Or had I? It is, um, it is all transporter, which is kind of a weird thing to think about. Um, it seems like an abuse of power, really. Yeah. A lot of crime, you'd think, would be useful that kind of way. But maybe they've, oh, yeah. maybe they've gotten around it. I didn't even think about that. Do they? Oh, that would be great. Do they ever do something like that? Probably not. Huh? No, I don't think so. Because this is – it's so limited. Like you never get to Earth and you never see the transporter. So it's one of those things that never really sticks around uh, Well, it's like mind. that joke in Breaking Bad where uh, he's talking about Scotty beaming all the food out of Chekhov's stomach so he right. can win a pie-eating contest. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Homefront, the first of the uh, two arc, the Starfleet coup arc, which is two episodes, this one and the next one. We're going to be talking about the first part only here. It's called Homefront. We're going to take a break. We'll play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back and we're going to break it down. I never sought this job. I was content to simply represent my people on the Federation Council. When they asked me to submit my name for election, I almost said no. Today, I wish I had. We appreciate your feelings, Mr. President, but we don't have time for regrets. You accepted the job, and now it's yours. Mr. President, there are people all over this planet right now, huddled in the dark, terrified about what might happen next. They're waiting for a sign, something to reassure them that everything will be all right, but they won't wait long. Fear is a powerful and dangerous thing, and if you don't act, if you don't show them that they're not alone, then fear will surely take over. All right. So, Clay, I don't know if you remembered uh, when we were talking about The Adversary, which was the season three finale, we had talked about mm-hmm. that there was a plot where the changelings would make it to Earth. Um, that was the original sort of idea of how they wanted to end in season three. And they wanted uh, Paradise Lost, which is the second part of this episode, to be the opening for season four of Star Trek. And the studio pushed back and said that they wanted something a little bit more ambiguous, which is kind of odd, but they did, uh, so that they couldn't do that storyline. They introduced the Klingons instead, and then they basically just punted the storyline down the road a little bit. So that's where we are now. We're at home front. And um, we had talked about how it being a season three finale might have felt too soon for the series. Like the Changelings mm-hmm. making it to Earth would have been too much of a thing. Um 
I still kind of feel it's early here. I feel like you could have explored the changelings a little bit more than you do before we get to this point. But I, I, I guess it makes sense that you have to get it to this part of the story at some point. Like the changelings have to make it to Earth, I think, is like the end game, especially the fact that you know that they are now in the Alpha Quadrant. Um, so I don't know. How, how do you want to lead this one off? Um, <clears throat> well, I think we should do what the episode does and maybe talk about like what sort of cuisine we like from the majority of our podcast episodes. Creole or Cajun? Just occasionally dip back into the actual plot of the, the, the show. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think... I think I don't think this if if you just transplanted these two episodes well talking about the first one specifically right now I guess if this you just transplanted this to the end of season 3 I don't think I would have liked that I think it yeah I think it would have been too soon um I guess I you know I don't know if it's still too soon or if it's the fact that we've basically had four episodes in a row that were just sort of like fun one-offs yep and then you jump immediately into, oh, by the way, the changelings have made it to Earth. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I liked the episode. I, th- I can't tell if it's, if, if the, if the writing is getting better or if it's still doing some of the same things. They're just dealing with it better on the back end. But, um, I, while I appreciate what they ended up doing with Cisco's dad to a point, uh, I feel like it took up way too much of the episode. Yeah. Um, because they, they lead you in with the changelings have made it to earth and we don't know. We, there's no way to tell who they are. Uh, there was a terrorist attack that hasn't happened in a hundred years. This is a big deal. And then it's like, well, we're going to spend 20 minutes at a restaurant. So, um, so here's the the thing, right? The episode is called Homefront. And you could you could say that what the episode is trying to do is that it's trying to show you the home front in two ways. It's showing that the front of right. the Cold War with the Dominion has reached Earth, so it's literally at home. And you could say that there's something of a divide in the Cisco family. So there's like a at home there is a front in a war on a personal level. Um I watched this episode uh I watched it a couple days ago. And I was sort of shocked by what you were saying about the Cisco family stuff. Like, there's not really a good point to it. And I rewatched the episode again uh, just because I was, it had been a couple of days and I wanted to refresh myself. And I noticed something that I didn't notice the first time. They kind of hint at cisco's father being a changeling but they don't really hammer you over the head with it and i would say they actually do it too subtly in what they, they're doing like the so like the re- before they actually do the blood test yeah mean? so the, the reveal oh, of the blood yeah, I, te- I, I don't think I, I caught that at all actually so the reveal of the blood test <clears throat> feels like it comes out of nowhere my first time through because i was like well he hasn't why would he think he's a changeling like, that just seems ridiculous that they would throw that in at that point if you watch it again they mentioned Cisco's father mentions that he ha- he he doesn't eat with them. He hasn't been going to oh, the, right. to the doctor in a couple months. He mm-hmm. got rid of the woman who knows him best for no particular reason. So, but Cisco Ben Cisco never has a moment where he publicly wonders to the camera and the audience about what that means. Or you don't get a um you don't get a sense of his paranoia at that point. Right. So it doesn't come across. I really like the idea. I like that that. I like that that's all in there, but it, it's weird that for a Star Trek episode, it's so subtle that you miss it if you're not aware that it's happening. 
Yeah, I think I think I would have picked a different character to do that with. Um, like 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 you're saying, I like the idea, but the question then is why? Why would he impersonate Cisco's dad? Right. Yep. You know, it just which is something he vo- that character voices in the show. He's like, why the hell would I be a changeling? And I know the idea is that it could be anybody, blah, 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 blah. But, like, as far as in, in the story that's being told, it doesn't make a ton of sense for, for that character to be a changeling. Like, the Admiral, that makes sense. Anybody else in Starfleet, that makes sense. <clears throat> I guess the idea is that it would allow them to target Cisco personally. Um, and I, I get the paranoia. But even in your par- – I guess that's what I'm thinking. Like, even in my paranoia – my question would be, well, why the hell would – why would my dad be a changeling? Like, what what benefit would that give them? Yeah. So, yeah, I like the idea. I think they, if that's what they were doing, they did it way too subtly. Um, and ultimately, I don't know if it if it really was worth it. Well, here's the – here's the. it's an interesting two-parter to me. Um, we're not going to talk about the second half, but just in terms of the first half, I think that the – Homefront actually works for me on a thematic level. Like it's a Homefront is more of an episode that's interesting to think about than I think it's a good execu- execution of an episode. Yeah. I think it it the the most interesting thing to me about this is really that this is a 9/11 story that they told 5 years before 9/11 happened. Yeah, no, 100%. Like uh not to jump too far ahead, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um when we got when I got to the end of the second episode there's a certain back and forth of dialogue that I actually wrote down. I was like, if this episode came out in 2002, it would be terrible. It would, it would be terrible. Yeah. It would be like so ham fisted and, and it just, it wouldn't play at all. But, and, but watching it, knowing it was 1996, man, it, again, these guys, I don't know. I, was this around the time of the first uh, trade center bombing with the, the truck? Yeah. That, that would have been early nineties. Yeah. So it would have been a couple so years maybe, after that. Yeah, maybe that's fresh in their minds or something, and they're extrapolating. But shit, man, they did a good job. I mean, this is if you want to if you want to see the definition of speculative f- fiction, you're watching it right here. They um, it's funny. DS Nine actually might benefit with age. Like DS Nine, I think is a series that ages particularly well, probably better than any of the other Star Trek series, at least at this point in history. But mm-hmm. that that's really what the how prescient they were with basically an identical to 9-11 thing happening, yeah. um, which, you know, terrorist attacks were happening in the 90s. So it's not like 9-11 was the first time that that ever happened. But the the scale of the response is scaled to what 9-11's response was from the U.S. government. And yeah. thematically, it's really interesting. And it, what, the way that you, as you were saying, like, if they had done this in 2002, you would be like, wow, this is so ham-fisted and so on the nose but it's amazing that it's five years before that event happened and they were still able to get sort of like the beats down the um the weird thing about it is that in a post 9-11 storytelling of this you couldn't really have cisco take the perspective he does in this episode Homefront is all about cisco buying into the we need to do something about the changeling threat we need to take yeah. drastic measures here and he learns a little bit in the next episode, but at least in Homefront, they do a pretty good job of not making that point of view seem outrageous. Odo is always there, and Odo is always going to be pushing that. I like the fact that they sort of re 
assert Odo as someone who's a control freak in this one. They had that mm-hmm. little minor subplot where Dax moves his stuff around and it freaks him out. Um, yeah. and that was, Odo, that was really strange. Yeah, and Odo, it's all just to service that of like the order, like you need to have order to keep things in line. Um, but yeah, what, so was she not, not to, to, to completely tangent on that, but like, was she just playing a joke on him? Is that what that was yes, happening? Just a prank. She okay. just knows it annoys all him. Right. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, playing up that fact and the Admiral having something to do, you see the Starfleet president is kind of a pussy. Like, he's not really, like, he's <laughs> he's not really built for what he is up against. And Starfleet seems to be, the more military aspect of Starfleet seems to be in control of the situation. And the Federation's sort of liberal value peacetime stuff is not really doing it. And Cisco mm-hmm. has that point of view the entire way through. And it's really fascinating because you couldn't do that post 9-11, I don't think, because that person would come across as ignorant to the outcome, but because this is pre-9-11, you can explore how that would happen in a way that feels um, interesting and realistic to the audience. Ignorant to which outcome? You Well, if you wrote that story post-9-11, it seems obvious. Like, writing a story that has that character going in that direction, because we are now post-9-11, it seems like it's like, of course it would go there. Sort of like, it, I see. It, you yeah. spend a lot of time getting to a point where the audience knows that you have to end up at. Right, 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 right. Um. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's really fascinating because it's not even like, it's, you know, it. it uh, I kept thinking about that scene from Spider Man, uh, the first Spider Man movie, where <laughs> I think it's after he he saves like the trolley car or something, and the Green Goblin's flying at him, and then Green Goblin just starts getting pelted with like rocks and bricks and stuff, yeah. and the pans over and there's a bunch of people on a bridge and they're like if you mess with new york you mess with one of us you mess with all of us and it's like uh okay i i understand uh the era where this came out but this is this is not going to age super well (laughs) um and that's like a very that was a very uh uh uh, immediate reaction to the events of of 9-11 but what this actually does is this actually projects past that um so it, it has the terrorist attack, but then it pr- projects into the the profiling aspects. And like, if if this came out, if 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 this first half of this came out like in January of two thousand two, I think it would get a huge negative reaction. Probably, yeah. um, like not in the same way that the second half has that like you know kind of really hitting nail on the head thing. But I think the idea that pr- the what they're doing is presented as a negative, I think would be, would be pushed back on quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's- and, and, uh, the fact that they are projecting past the actual event into the inevitable, uh, um, fear and, and profiling and possibility of martial law and all that kind of stuff. It, it's, it's really, it's, it's really fascinating to look at. Yeah. They, um, you know, it's the the speed at which it collapses um or the speed at which they make changes that are able to be made is in service of being a star trek episode so everything happens very quickly however it right. it actually mirrors the changes that would that happened you know post 911 fairly like quickly like it's right. a, a very um you know the, what they the changes that they make are basically the patriot act uh in terms of post 911 yep. stuff and I think that they do a good job of the first the Homefront episode does a really good job of keeping everything balanced and keeping it sort of a realistic 
approach to what this actually would be, which is that you have admirals in Starfleet who are concerned about the security situation of the Federation. You have Mm -hmm. the uh, bureaucrats who are anxious about how the people are going to feel and that they don't want a military coup to happen and everything. So you have this sort of conflict there that is balanced, makes sense, and you understand the perspective of everybody. And Mm -hmm. we'll talk about it more in in Paradise Lost, but I feel they lose that a little bit. But Homefront, it's very strong. It's a... It is a, and I think that it's more interesting because the the thematic stuff about what they're talking about is superior to any of the character work. In the case of the Cisco family, it like overshadows everything because I don't really care about the Cisco family for any mm-hmm. reason. But the the idea of Odo pushing his security measures and Leyland having his uh, sort of take on the whole thing, it feels very. Um, what's the best way to describe this? It, it just feels very. Of like a larger picture in a way that despite the the production cost, I think of the episode is actually too low for what they're trying to get across here. But like the the yeah. idea propels along uh, further than the actual execution does in terms of uh, like the sets and the characters and everything. But the ideas are all there. Yeah, and uh, um, just to kind of go back to you know when it when it when it came out, I think watching this in 1996, I think it would feel a lot more like sci-fi um because they they progress so quickly i think the reaction could be oh well yeah i mean obviously it wouldn't happen it wouldn't happen like that this is kind of like a worst case scenario kind of thing the freakiness of it is when you watch it now and you go this that's basically what happened yeah yeah you know maybe you know like you said not that quickly but essentially they this is exactly how things went yeah um of course, there wasn't. There haven't been any, uh, you know, starships firing on their own people yet. But you know, we'll see. <laughs> we Give it a couple of years. We just missed the boat on it. I, I know that's the that's the impressive thing about it. And I think that maybe Homefront might actually hold up better nowadays than it would when it came out. I mean, I think that the. But my problems with I, I guess it would be good to get the the way the problems out that I have out of the way with the episode. I think it's mm-hmm. a. I think it's a, something that the production side couldn't keep up with. They they were running low on money at this point, and they felt that they uh, they kind of. Sp- but they had a they had a sweet alligator. So how can we use this alligator, <laughs> like in a very prominent central way? Dig around for something on the other sets and like bury it into your set. But there's no money for this the show at this point. Um, just or at least like they're they're running behind schedules. So they have to scale back a little bit. Uh, it maybe comes on too soon, but maybe not. I just I feel for the the scope of what they're doing, having Cisco and Odo just take a trip to Earth feels a little bit too small for that kind of event. Like I I feel like this is a it's something that would benefit from a movie budget where you actually see like Starfleet like a lot of admirals and stuff like that. Like instead of just right, one right. guy in an office and you're dealing with him. I think it suffers from that on on that way. And then the Cisco family stuff it would have made more sense if Ben Cisco's paranoia was being played up. And even if you were saying that you'd, you'd be like, it doesn't make any sense that his father would be a changeling. Why would that happen? I think that the thematically Cisco's journey into this like authoritarianism uh, would make sense to me if he was paranoid of even his own father, he was hitting a point yeah, where he could yeah. not trust anybody. And it was like, even if it's illogical, it, um, it would give something to that story. Instead, I don't really understand what the Cisco family is about in, in these episodes. The dogs don't either. Um, 
Well, you know, I was, tr- I was trying to give it a second to see if it would. Hold on. Radar, shut up. Uh, you know, I think the thing with his dad, I think there's a really easy fix for it. Um, if they had made his dad's restaurant be a restaurant where uh, uh, Starfleet higher ups went a lot, mm-hmm. I think that would be a super easy fix because that way it puts his dad into a position where replacing him with a changeling would would be advantageous to them where if they wanted to, they could hit that restaurant and take out a whole bunch of generals or something, you know? Right. So like, <clears throat> I think it would be, a, I think it would be an easy fix. Um, why he has, to, I mean, yeah, they, it could still be in even in Louisiana. If, if they had just had his place frequented by Starfleet personnel, I think that would maybe have made it a little bit easier to track that stuff and make that paranoia make a little more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Either, you know, the changelings, they're sort of um, eavesdropping on stuff or just has the access and opportunity to be able to do something with it. Right. Um, right. Again, I mean, we're sort of heavily rewriting there. I, I would be fine with neither of those things happening if the paranoia aspect was played up, because I don't think that comes across yeah. from Cisco. The, the scene where he draws blood from, or tries to draw blood from his father comes across as really out of, out of left field for me because – yeah, his father's curmudgeonly, but Cisco's almost like at tears at that point, saying like, why won't you just listen to me sometime? And mm-hmm. when he cuts himself, Cisco, and he's like, you thought I was a changeling. And he's like, I don't know what I thought. It's like, that that doesn't really, that's not latched onto anything that the episode had previously been hinting at. Like, I needed a couple right, scenes right. of Cisco looking suspiciously at his father or not like... You know, maybe his father doesn't remember something that Cisco thinks he should remember, and a changeling wouldn't yep. know that. But he, Cisco's kind of like quizzical about it. And then you have a scene with Odo explaining that the changelings could be anybody. Um, Odo's role, Odo's role to me needed to be ramped up a little bit. To his desire for law and order should have been more pushy. I think he should. Mm-hmm. O- Odo mm-hmm. should have been convincing Cisco of this is the way that we need to go. He does it a little bit, but I think he needed to be even more amplified. Yeah, the um <clears throat> excuse me. The uh, uh the decision making is is really relegated to the Starfleet people and yeah, I I feel like Odo was just kind of there for the uh uh you know, the Winston Zedmore and when they're talking to the mayor and Ghostbusters where he's like I've seen shit that'll turn you white. He's there for like that moment yeah, yeah. where Cisco says his piece, the admiral says his piece and then Odo comes in and he's like, "Listen, I'm one of these people." Um, you know, I know what they're capable of, blah, blah, blah. But he, yeah, he doesn't really serve a lot of function outside of those scenes. Um, and it would have been nice to have a little bit more, a little bit more with, with, uh, with them. It's funny because the opening scene is all about that, but you, you, they waste that time just by explaining Odo as opposed to using Odo to further something within Cisco himself by allowing Odo to explain you need to up your things like we need armed security you need all these things like you have to give up a little bit of Odo was mentioned in previous episodes you need to give up a little bit of freedom to have security um right that's part right. of his characterization and and you know well sorry I was just gonna say uh, as far as the dad goes um the thing I did find fascinating about the way that they handle this because I didn't pick up the 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 Cisco thinking he was a uh, changeling thing but I I I appreciated what they were doing when you see the way his his demeanor changes where he's very um very against 
the intrusion of privacy and all this kind of stuff and until he's directly affected by it when you know all the power grid goes out and then after that he's like well yeah i mean of, of course i want to do this right like, we gotta yeah. get these guys and even cisco is like wait a minute like yesterday you were fighting tooth and nail to not do this and now you're on board with it and that was another thing that that struck me as very accurate like that that's I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've definitely gone through that personally. Yeah. You know, I mean, where everything seems you, you have a certain set of beliefs about the way these things should be handled until you are put in closer proximity to it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I not to go on a tangent about this stuff, but uh, I remember um, after the marathon bombing in Boston, uh, they basically put the city on lockdown. While they were hunting this guy down, and everybody that I knew um, was like, "Yeah, man, do what you got to do. I'll stay in my house, no problem whatsoever." Yeah, and there were plenty of people, you know, thanks Facebook, uh, from outside the area who were not directly affected by this. You know, seeing like, "Oh my God, here we go, martial law, blah blah." They're already the government's taken over, and it's like, no, you don't totally understand how this is going. It's you can't really make these have these opinions about how these things are playing out when you're not directly affected by it. Yeah. Um, and whether or not, you know, your opinion is the right one or the wrong one is, is up for debate too. Cause again, you're going to be, you're not a, an objective observer or, uh, you are a participant even if tangentially. So it's, it's, it's real. it was, that was, that was really striking to me the way that they had, I don't know if they do that in this episode or if he changes in the next one, but yeah, um, yeah, it's the it's the start of the next one, but I think it's the 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 point is still there. I mean, you could you just tie it back to the whole pushing of stuff here. Like, there's the so since we're so far removed after nine eleven and after the uh, the marathon bombing is more recent, but the nine eleven is the bigger one, um, especially for people who aren't just in Boston. Um, the because of the way that history has gone, it's easy to look back and say that everything that we did after 9-11 was a mistake. But mm-hmm. I, I think this episode just furthers the point of it's not really a mistake. Like, Odo is not out of bounds with what he thinks needs to be done. He knows the changelings better than anybody, right? And he's right, right. he's the one saying, and especially, you know, if the, if this is the president of the Federation, this guy is so mealy-mouthed and like basically weak against this threat like he he's not in a position to be making military decisions it seems like admiral leyland certainly has a better grasp on things that need to be done and doing nothing in this situation seems to be just as bad as the overkill that they eventually go to like you have to do something against this changeling threat because these the changelings are here they're doing terrorist bombings in a very bizarre terrorist bombing what kind of terrorist bombing are you in the bombing and then managed to escape. It's not a suicide attack. He just, he's in the explosion and then the changeling somehow got out of there. Um, in oh, does he get out? I guess I didn't think, I must have missed that. I just assumed that he died. No, the they, did, they said they didn't find changeling remains. Oh, that's right. They didn't find any part yeah. changeling remains. Yeah. Could, can you like, can a changeling, can they like T-1000 themselves? So like, could they get blown up, but then they like suck themselves back together? Uh, not according to Miro Odo, Miro Universe Odo, oh, when he blew true. up. Yeah. yeah, he gets blown the fuck up pretty good. Maybe he could just, they could just <laughs> turn themselves into a boulder or something hard and not not feel the blast or something oh, yeah. like that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, um yeah, you know, I think it's it's uh yeah, it's one of those things where they do a good job of of presenting two arguments where if you are thinking about them logically, they neither one of them is wrong. Because if you look at what they what Cisco wants to implement, 
he's he's not wrong. Like his tactics make logical sense. Yep. They don't make personal sense, but they make logical sense. And it's like the first thing I was thinking of there, it's like, oh, well, yeah, okay. Imagine if this terrorist, this uh, changeling, right, the, the changeling set this bomb off because he turned into someone's shoes and then they made it onto an airplane. Right. Well, then the logical thing is, well, now we have everybody take their shoes off before they, they scan their shoes. Like it's it's a very logical – what he's trying to do is logical, but it's a very extreme – it, it's dialed up to its extreme. Yeah, I think it actually grows because I think when they, when they start, yeah. Cisco is just saying that you do this for Starfleet officers who are basically at Starfleet con- command. Um, so it's like a right. a very high level type thing. Uh, to tie it into the airplanes, it would be like the you know everyone has to go through the metal detector now. But yeah. then you start be- the way that the episode is. They keep amplifying it. Eventually, they have people uh, armed guards on the streets, and they have people blood testing randomly uh, on, on the streets. And that ties in like the so now traveling by airplane got to take their belts off. <laughs> right. Traveling by airplane is now just <clears throat> a bunch of nonsense that doesn't help anyone because no one bombing airplanes is gonna do any of those things anymore. You know right, what I mean? Like right. so you're you're stuck with this sort of overkill of reaction to it, even though the original idea that Cisco had about testing people in Starfleet and randomly testing the officers that have important meetings and everything like that makes sense. It's just the the slow power creep of Leyland and um, just sort of like the rule buildup that happens in real life when stuff like this happens. Right. Here's a non sequitur. I'm going to plug it in now because it's fresh in my mind about plane travel. Mm -hmm. Are you surprised that uh, general dress has not changed since all of these rules have been put in? Like, doesn't it feel like, I mean, the the reason I say that is because I was, I was flying recently and every time I go to the airport, half of me thinks, you know, I'm surprised more people don't just like not wear belts or wear slip-on shoes or something like that. But then on the other hand, I'm like half of these people are dressed like slobs. Yes. And so I, I'm I'm kind of surprised there hasn't been some like middle ground where it's like <laughs> yeah, everybody there's like a uh, I I'm surprised there's been no like uh, um, uh, advertising movement for like plain based wear where it's right. like comfortable slip-on shoes. Pants that don't need a belt, you know, these things, you know, things that you can put all your things in this one thing and slide it through, you know, that one of those kind of things. I'm kind of surprised. It's been long enough that you would think that the trend would change. But I guess it's I guess it's nice that people just seem to go along, go along with their, uh, you know, their business. They just, you know, got to take their shoes and belts off when they get on a plane. I mean, that's well, I mean, but there's still there's still stubbornness. There's still 50% of people who are like, what do I have to do? Take my shoes off? Why do I have That's to take true. my That's shoes off? That's the other thing. There's, yeah, most people still don't I, go. You could, There are people who I'm sure fly like once a month who still don't remember that they have to do <laughs> right. yeah. So maybe it's just like ignorance and stubbornness is working to the benefit of remaining a uh, an individual. I don't know. But even but, if you even if you have never flown by an airplane, I feel just by living in the culture, you know that taking your shoes off is something you have to do at the airplane security line. It's like it's just right, one of those things right. that's in the ether. But um I don't know why I like I I would rather go with a belt than wear sweatpants and flip flops on oh, the airplane. Same. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't want to look like an asshole. Right, yeah. You just <laughs> you don't want to be that guy who's just like either, you know, just wearing the inappropriate gear when you're sitting, you know, uh, ass to ass with people on the airplane that you don't know rubbing yeah. against them. Yeah. You know, I think it probably I think it probably has changed for people that fly a lot. Like uh I know uh our, our buddy Jim 
Um, he flies a lot for his job, and he always wears slip-on shoes. Not like, you know, shitty shoes. Loafers. Like nice shoes. Yep. Yeah, loafers. And he's got it down to like a science. So I'm sure that there are certain people who fly a lot that don't have like the pre-check stuff that lets you just walk right through. That p- People who still have to go through all the bells and whistles that do have it down to some sort of like science. Like even now, I've, you know, when I, when I, I'm sorry, this is a, turning into a podcast about plane travel but <laughs> I, I i i used to you know fumble for shit and be like oh i forgot i gotta take everything out of my pockets you know blah, blah. but now it's like i just put everything in my in my sweatshirt pocket take that off one thing into the thing and you're th- like it's you, you adapt but um yeah that's assuming you know you have to do it at all but anyway back to star trek back to star trek um home front i mean Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's it's I kind of have a difficult time talking about this one. I I think it's because the we might run into this going forward a little bit, but the I I feel like the Paradise Lost will reveal a lot about Homefront, I think, but I don't want to compare it to Paradise Lost at this point. Mm-hmm. Um I did I liked Homefront. I thought it was fine. I thought that the ideas that they were going with were really great and that because we're post 9/11 it like it's more incredible than anything that they actually did so much of this like that they knew so much of or predicted so much of what could possibly happen but mm-hmm. the the changelings on earth is the fact that you don't really see any changelings in this so they don't have a lot to do in this episode you see the bombing guy and then one of them imitates the admiral at some point Bonotto sort of handshakes them and they they fly away from each other um, right the changelings are continuing this thing of the changelings are not really present in the dominion at large are kind of this way that they're not really present in the storylines that are about them which is really fascinating. Like they are, it is purely the threat of the Dominion and what the Changelings represent and what the Jem'Hadar represent that is causing everything. And it's such a unique Star Trek trope where all the other previous Star Trek villains are people that you see and interact with on the view screen and then you shoot at each other. Um, right, right. And what they did was like the the nature of the changelings just really allowed the writers to nail 9-11 about like even down to just we'll assume this changeling is a suicide bomber like it's someone who sneaks in you can't see them you can't there's no reason they're not aligned with any nation state they're just one of you who just walks into a situation and sets off a bomb and the paranoia that comes from that from not being able to identify your arm uh armies anymore you can't tell who your enemies are because everyone in like a globalized environment is kind of the same you're just walking amongst each other there's no army invading other countries um and they they were really maybe it's just post cold war stuff but they they really nailed all that stuff and i think the nature of the changelings was just a really smart idea there where that they can be anybody and that the true enemy could be sort of within and it's the paranoia and it's the threat of what might happen as opposed to actually anything actually blowing up, even though they do sometimes blow up. Yeah. They, somehow they managed to tap into the reality of this stuff in a show about shape, shape shifting aliens and space travel more than say something like the Manchurian candidate, mm-hmm. like the Manchurian candidate, while it's, it's, you know, it's great. Uh, when you get down to it, it's about someone who's been brainwashed to be a Russian assassin who, when they hear a certain word, it triggers them and, and turns them into like a mindless killing machine. That is less believable. Like you watch that and you go, okay, yeah, I mean, sure. I guess that's something you could be worried about if you want it to be, but then you, and it's all very uh, earth based and realistic, but then you watch this and you go, no shit, that's pretty much how it is. Right. That's very accurate. 
minus the shape-shifting aspect, but it's very accurate. Um, and I don't know if that's the benefit of having gone through and seen how that stuff plays out. Like, I mean, I guess if there was an actual Manchurian candidate in that ever. Right. We'd be uh, more amazed maybe, by that after right. that movie. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but uh, but I, I think that's the – like that's the – if anything, you could say that this episode really accomplishes what Star Trek does when it tries to do best, which is to set up a – real human experience in terms of this goofy sort of alien sci-fi yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's really what science fiction is supposed to do, right? Yeah, right. And it's here it's remarkable just because they got so much of it right. And I, I do just want to repeat the point. If this came out post 9-11, this would be a terrible episode. It's just, it's funny right. how, much, yeah. how much credit you have to give them for um, almost being predictive of something. And drawing up a situation that would eventually only a couple years later actually turn out and you could compare the two like and you're not even you're not even forcing the comparison which is interesting like it's not like a english major literary phd person trying to shove like a square into a circle peg like this is yeah you they line up so perfectly with each other it's it's kind of remarkable yeah you know i think just go uh if i had to be critical of it um, I think kind of going on what you were ta- saying about how the changelings and the dominion are, 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 they get so much mileage of, out of them not actually being on screen. I think the times that they are on screen in this episode are, are, are kind of a waste. Um, there only, there's only two as far as I can tell, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, well, there's the first one, obviously that's actually the, the, the bombing, the right. And that one's effective. Um, but I mean, when they find out that there was a changeling impersonating the Admiral, that should be a bigger deal. Yeah. Like, they should start, you know, making sure, looking back on the decisions that the Admiral was making. Well, they do start, they do, that is the scene that directly leads into the President isn't doing all of our full measures. So, it it can be seen as they do amp it up at that point. Like, that is the... um, that is the point that they really start to go whole hog, and that's when the uh, the soldiers go out on the streets and everything, and they right, they right. amplify the situation. Well, but I mean, you know, but I mean, like, I would, I hope they blood tested that admiral the next time he showed up, and you know, there was no, there was no uh, um, disputing of of what he had done previously. Like, how long was this guy in 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 uh, impersonating the admiral? Was yeah. he in any of these meetings previously? You know. Stuff that they do with Cisco in the second episode, sort of a little bit, uh, they don't really do with the Admiral. Um, and the, I, I think the 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 changeling scene in the next one is is kind of similar, where I feel like it's 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 a little bit wasted. But um, yes, yeah, I think the like you were kind of saying, I, I think the benefit of of these characters, specifically the changelings, is that you they don't need to be on screen because they they could be on screen at any point. Right, right, exactly. They have the line here where they. Uh, <laughs> You're the first changeling I've ever met, at least the only one that I know of, um, when they're right, talking right. to Odo. Yeah. Um, well, I think we talked about it about 40 minutes, so I think we're just going to play an audio clip. We'll come- I, sorry, could I call out a couple things? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Before we go again. Uh, I found it weird that Cisco was being such a dick to Nog, because Nog, uh, he, all he's trying to do is excel at, 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 at being a cadet and... Uh, <laughs> Cisco's being a real asshole. He's like, you, know, you, know. you want me to write you a letter so you can get it? Ugh, fine. It's not even like Nog is like, listen, I don't really have what it takes, but could you give me a bump? He's like, I have all the grades. I'm, 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 
I, I'm good enough to be in this. I just need someone to sponsor me. And Cisco's like, dude, I'm real busy. Cisco has already <clears throat> sponsored him a couple times in previous episodes, though. So I do, I get, I, having seen all the episodes, I get the sense that Nog is just the person who will never go away, is why Cisco reacts that way to him. That's fair, but you know, I don't know. He's the first Ferengi in Starfleet, you know. <laughs> be, be, come on, be, be nice to the kid. The, um, the Nog storyline is something that really feels like a waste of time in this episode. Yeah, I agree. Until you get to yeah. Paradise Lost. Um, yeah, I think I think I think we could talk more about that in the next one. About but that kind of goes into what I was saying at the beginning about not being totally sure if the writing has gotten better um, or if it's just they figured out how to deal with some of their weaknesses better in the second half because. Yeah. Uh, like the stuff that I didn't like in this episode, as far as what they're spending their time on, seems a little more worth it in the second episode. Like it feels like it's just long term storytelling. Right. Um, I still don't know if you needed to spend so much time just dicking around at the, the, the restaurant and stuff, but I can see why they introduced that element um, to give Cisco a, uh, <clears throat> a civilian relation to deal with that you could, you know show these events through and that kind of stuff. Yeah. The knock yep. thing obviously sets up for what's going to happen later. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's an, it's interesting. I hadn't, um, I hadn't remembered when you when we had the episode where Nog goes away, you're like, so is that it? Oh, is that the last we see of Nog? I didn't realize he basically comes back a couple episodes later. So you said yeah. like you really you really miss him or anything. And uh the other thing I wanted to mention was I did really like um Worf talking about the Klingon gods. Yeah. Where, uh, that's a that's a great uh, scene. Yeah. I think it's Kira talking about the prophets or whatever. And, and O'Brien is there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Worf is like, uh, we don't have gods because we killed them. All. We, we <laughs> which, which makes perfect sense. Cause it's like, obviously the God of their religion is the warrior who killed God. Yes. Yep. And the, what I, what I like about that scene is, um, I feel that kind of really exposes the weakness of the Bajoran religion. Because in one sentence, Worf says more that's descriptive of a, about the Klingon religion than the Bajorans yeah. have ever gotten across. Like that totally and he doesn't fits. have to use the word prophet to do it. Right. It's it like it totally fits that Klingon mythology would be like we God created us and then we killed God because we're better yeah. warriors than they are. Um, yeah. And the Bajorans don't have a, a moment like that. It's it's really it's a pretty a pretty neat little line I think from Worf. I would have preferred that he did it very slowly in Klingon, dramatic music behind him. <laughs> and the, the line's great, too. He says, they were more trouble than they were worth, which is yeah, a fantastic yeah. way to uh, approach your gods. Um, did you have anything else, or do we want to move to the second one, which will kind of free up our hands a little bit in talking about this? Uh, yeah, I think I think that's about it. That's all I had in this one. All right, we're going to play an audio clip. I'll read some patron thoughts, and then we'll give our final thoughts, and then we'll call it a day. The EMT said he'd be okay, and they were right. It turns out it was just a mild stroke. Brought on by his atherosclerosis. How's Jake handling it? He is very upset. He knows as well as I do that if my father doesn't take better care of himself... <laughs> I found that when it comes to doing what's best for you, you humanoids have the distressing habit of doing the exact opposite. I can't argue with that. But what bothers me is... That for a few moments there, I really believed that my own father was a changeling. A reasonable assumption, considering the circumstances. I don't care if it's reasonable or not. But when a son can't trust his own father... That's why my people came here. 
to undermine the trust and mutual understanding the Federation is built on. But what if my father's right? What if all our precautions turn out to be useless? Maybe they will. But that doesn't mean you should give up. My people are here. And you've got to fight them with whatever you've got. All right, everybody. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them on the show. So now we're going to do that. Holly McLaughlin says, Homefront, seeing three generations of the Cisco family interacting and the tension between Benjamin's duties and his father's rights was wonderfully done. I love the idea that in the future, freedom will be taken so seriously that a refusal to submit to a legally mandated, simple, painless medical procedure doesn't result in what it would result in today. A body camera being turned off so a cop can beat the fuck out of you. Scaring the Federation <laughs> president to death to get him to cooperate was a really well done scene, too. Uh, next one. Stephen Cobb says, Homefront, interesting story, steadily increasing stakes. It feels believable. Great acting from Cisco's dad. Ending is totally a two-parter feel, minus the to be continued. Although it does have a do- to be continued, I it think, does, Stephen. Yeah. yeah. Um, do, do, do. So many comments. Hold on. What's the next one? Kyle Barrett, Homefront, who made Elf the Federation president? And why is the Federation calling mm-hmm. the shots on Earth security when that should be the United Earth government's job? Uh, the answer to that is actually they had the United Earth in the original script and they took it out because it was too confusing, which makes sense to me. Uh, oh, yeah. It's weird that they don't appear and that the Federation is seemingly in control of the planet. But apart from that, in the scene with Dax messing with Odo's quarters, it's good stuff, particularly the Cisco family drama. Neil Brennan says, home front, it never occurred to me before, but how do people move around Earth in this time period? Do they just teleport from San Francisco to Paris without even thinking twice? Otherwise, O'Brien's request for Odo to check on his parents in Dublin is way out of line. Decker Sebastiani says, a decent episode that presciently preconfigures the ethical political quandary of post-9-11 security. Thankfully, the episode succeeds in presenting a large-scale Dominion attack on Earth as genuinely possible. Otherwise, the final scene and setup for the next episode would be rather shallow. I do wish that they could do more to highlight the apparent contradiction between the Federation civilians' expectations of a free and more open society versus Starfleet's martial and authoritarian system. Sisko's father represents this conflict. However, it comes off as more of his own personal contrarianism, the crusty old man trope. Methinks he needed a little backstory to understand his motivation. For example... A little bit of dialogue about how he was once in Starfleet himself, but was kicked out for being too much of a rebel and an ideologue. In addition, we've got... Too enough- focused on his cooking. Yeah, that's right. You, you can only have one love in life, and that's it. He doesn't even really do a lot of cooking this. He seems like he's more of a maitre d' uh, storefront owner or something. Yeah. In addition, we... They kicked me out of Starfleet because I used too much cumin. In addition, we've got another episode that begs picking at these small incons- inconsistency scabs. This is a moneyless society, yet Grandpa runs a restaurant? Is the food free? Even if that's so, then why does Grandpa get to his, get his own personal property and deserve to control capital and the means of production versus other Federation civilians? Does the Federation then operate? Technically, nobody is paying for anything in that scene. There's no at no point where there's someone pays a bill. I don't think. No, no. He's he's just doing it for he's he's basically made that other guy Nathan. I think his name is sort of spend his day chopping vegetables and cooking, and he just gets the uh, glory. Yeah, man. Does the Federation then operate on a system of not monetary but social capital? Is there a seniority system? Finally, Grandpa makes a joke about one of his patrons that her fish is so cute it's a shame she's going to eat it. I thought that was funny because surely in the future everyone would be vegetarian and Grandpa's stuffed alligator would definitely be inappropriate. I thought that scene was funny because – well, Clay, would you eat at Papa Sisko's restaurant? Um, I mean I don't see why not. I mean I don't really like fish. But uh, 
I probably wouldn't. I don't like I don't like restaurants with a guy, the owner's coming up telling me that I'm lucky to be eating this thing because it's so good he's like unwilling to give it to me. Like I Oh yeah. I've, yeah, I actually was thinking that was weird too where he's like don't bother looking at the dessert menu. If you don't get the bread pudding, you're an idiot and then whoever like makes the other stuff is like, "Come on, man. I just let him get the creme brulee once. Why did you make a menu if you only want me to eat one thing? Just tell me the one right. thing that you want to eat." Matthew Ross, final comment, says, The remake of Seven Days of May, where paranoia and annoyance at the status quo becomes dangerous. You know it's serious when Cisco wears his TNG uniform. The return of Admiral Cartwright Cisco is nice, but too soon close to Star Trek Three: Undiscovered Country for us not to notice the recycling. The paranoia about the Dominion takes front and center and also adds to the evil Admiral collection with Robert Foxworth, who double-booked Babylon 5, filled with frustrating tension. We know that the Admiral is evil, but do wonder how many of the changelings are actually there. When the power goes out, you know that something weird is up, and Earth and Starfleet may not be as perfect as we've been led to believe. However, apparently only one starship, the Lakota, can do anything. From the moment Odo turns out to be a suitcase to the conversation between Odo and the changeling Admiral, really brought home that the Dominion can be anywhere or anything. However, the machinations by the Starfleet personnel clearly shows that there's something more nefarious going on in good setup for Paradise Lost, where the streets are now covered with security personnel. That's it. Thank you guys for your thoughts about Homefront. Uh, but now we'll go to our final thoughts here, Clay. What are you going to say about Homefront? Ah, oh, boy. Um, I think it's overall. I think it's a little bit too slow to get going. Uh, but I. But once it does, I like what they're doing. Uh, I would probably. Ugh, what the hell would I rate this thing? Um, I'm going to rate it a four. Okay. Because I think the ideas, once they get to them, are strong enough that it's like, yeah, I would I would recommend watching these two episodes, I think. Yeah, for for Homefront, I think I'd say it's it's kind of a weird. It's it's sort of I think I think it's actually a three to me, but I'd say it's a four just because yeah. I think it's kind of neat. But um I don't think it's a good episode or a great episode or an above average episode. I think it's actually kind of clunky and yeah. it's more just the ideas are very interesting than it's actually good in terms of being something that you don't want to watch. And if anything I'm actually a little bit let down that it's not a more watchable episode considering the content that they're talking about. Um and it's a it's something that when we go into the next episode the smallness of it is also kind of frustrating on some level yeah. for for a series that's so serialized as it is, and the the smallness of what's going on um, is a little bit frustrating. I think I'm going to give this one a three, even though I'd say it's it's a four in some ways. But uh, we'll have more to say about that, I think, with the next episode. So a three for me, a four for Clay. All right, everybody. So Clay gives it a four. I give it a three, and that's about it. You can check out the Badass Podcast. You can check out the next issue of Clay's book. All that stuff. Thank you for listening. If you go to the social media links, they're in the uh, podcast blurb, they're in the video description, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, all that stuff. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. It's the best way to do it. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff. That's out of that. That's pretty much it. We are going to be back with Paradise Lost in a couple days. So thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>